Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about plant growth regulators and plant growth hormones. If you've got any questions about that or anything that's happening on your farm right now, we'd love to talk to you. Our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com, or you can find us on Twitter, agphdmedia, or Brian Hefty. So over the next three or four weeks here, well, between now and Christmas, either Darren or myself is going to be out of the studio, on the road. We're doing a a series of smaller meetings with farmers in some different areas. Darren is out in Idaho today. Uh, Later in the week, I know he's going to be up in North Dakota. Next week, I got to be out in Montana. So we're doing a lot of traveling coming up here. So you're only going to get one of us each day, for the most part, here over the next few weeks. But anyway, we'll talk plant growth regulators and plant growth hormones just a little bit on the show today. And just to kind of start things off, I'd say this, when you hear things like plant growth hormones, plant growth regulators, it kind of falls under that category, like my dad used to talk about, foo-foo dust or snake oil. A lot of people really think that the this kind of product, these kind of pr- kinds of products are uh, unproven, unreliable, and in many cases not worth the money. But I will just tell you that when we look around the world at a lot of the very best farmers who are out there, there are a lot of people using these kind of products. We've seen gains on our own farm. It's, I I mean, I I will say it's exciting, but I mean, some of these things have been out for so long that they've been able to get proven for a long time now. And we're going to continue learning more about all these biological products, natural products, plant growth hormones, things like that. Because let's face it, I don't care what country you're from, if it's the United States or Canada or somewhere else and you're listening, we are all dealing as farmers in an agriculture with more and more regulations, which means that we're probably going to have fewer pesticides to use in the future. And so that's where almost every big company out there, they're they're working on things like this just to try to find more alternatives for us as farmers so we can increase our yields and so companies can sell us something that will increase our yields and help their bottom line but also at the same time help our bottom line. So the big thing is trying to understand some of these different plant growth hormones, what they do, when they should be used, when they actually could pay. So I will give you six different plant growth hormones here to start and just a couple examples here and there. So I'll start with auxins. So auxins in general are going to help root development, help drive water and other hormones from roots to leaves, uh, like in soybeans. They can help with branching in soybeans. So that can be a big thing. We've got cytokinins formed in the root and push up into vegetative and reproductive areas within the plant can stimulate reproduction. Uh, there's gibberellic acid. We often talk about this like with silage corn or out in pastures where, hey, if you can increase the gibberellic acid when it's not in high, in high levels, that would be when times are cooler. There's lots of gibberellic acid produced naturally in the plant because it's for stem elongation. Well, if you can basically trick the plant into thinking things are better and throw gibberellic acid on the plant, you can get more 
elongation. So basically, you can end up with a taller plant and more tonnage. Super helpful when we talk silage and pasture production. Not real helpful when we're just after yield. Uh, there's GABA. That's uh, gamma aminobutyric acid. Uh, it's an abiotic stress reduction in plants, helps with energy production along with efficiencies in plant leaf tissue. Uh, there's abscisic acid. This is one of these things where we kind of look at this as a negative. It's a stress-induced hormone that begins shutting the plant down so it conserves energy. It closes stomatas to reduce transpiration, and it's triggered from heat stress, water stress, and salt stress. So it can be good, can be bad, depending on how you want to look at that. And then uh, the, the last one I'd bring up is ethylene. That's the maturity hormone. So when ethylene is produced, plant is in high, the plant's in high stress and begins to shut down. Also signals the plant um, when basically to try to reach maturity. So, for example, there's less ethylene produced when you use after you use a strobilurin fungicide. So this is one of these plant health benefits that they talk about with the strobes. So this is exactly why you see green stems in the fall after using a strobilurin fungicide. So if you don't like those green stems, then you got to stay away from this. But the reason why this is all happening is because it's reducing ethylene production in the plant. So anyway, it, it's kind of interesting how, how a lot of these things tie together. And if you're using some different plant growth hormones, can be really beneficial. So I, I think about MegaGrow, for example. That's the only product that's labeled as a safener for glyphosate. So we, we use it every time we're spraying glyphosate. And what it does is it reduces the yellow flash that we see out there. And it's, two, it's a combination of two of the different uh, plant growth hormones that I just mentioned. So one of the auxins is uh, endobuteric acid and then a uh, type of cytokine and it's kinetin. So it's this combination of endobuteric acid, which is IBA, and kinetin, that's what MegaGrow is. So it's a combination of two plant growth, growth hormones, and it helps the plant recover faster after glyphosate is used. So anyway, it's, it's something that we've been using on our farm for over a decade now, and we've seen good response. We see yield gain, we see less yellow flash, we see faster recovery in the plant. So don't get me wrong, I'm not saying, oh, everybody needs to use this product and it's a miracle and it's a savior or anything like that. But for each of these different plant growth hormones, there certainly are fits. And it's just important to understand where they fit and where they don't. And obviously looking at the cost and what kind of return you can get on your farm. So we'll talk a little about plant growth hormones, plant growth regulators on the show today to start things off. And in our last segment or two of the show, We'll get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag. Got lots of them coming in. If you want to email us, you certainly can. Radio at agphd.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Did you know that more than 50 weed species will survive the winter? Get a jump start on spring with a fall burndown herbicide plan. Weed control in fall provides big benefits, including more flexibility, less need for tillage, and a stronger start come planting. New Farm offers a strong lineup of proven herbicides to reduce the weed seed bank and protect your crop from harvest to canopy. Go to newfarm.com slash US crop slash fall burndown 2022 to learn more. 
Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient flutriafol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. What does it feel like to get all for none? How does all the Thanksgiving turkey with none of the cooking sound? All your football team's highlights with none of the timeouts? We'll do you one better. What about all the benefits of a new Farmall utility tractor with none of the finance cost? Welcome to Farmall A-Days. For a limited time only, gain 0% financing for 48 months or a cashback offer when you invest in select Farmalls this holiday season. There's a reason they call it a Farmall and not a Farm None. Visit caseih.com slash offers to learn more about these special offers running now through December 31st. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today we're talking about plant growth regulators, or as some people would say, PGRs, and plant growth hormones. First on the show, we've got Temple Rhodes with us. Uh, he farms out in Maryland and is with the Extreme Ag Group. Temple, how are you doing today? I'm good, Brian. How are you today? Excellent. So we're talking a little bit about plant growth regulators, plant growth hormones. Can you tell us just a little okay. bit about your experience with any of those kind of products on your farm? Whew. Well, I've been using them for a long time, Brian. Um, and I'm not saying that any of us have them figured out because I don't think any of us do. Um, but I, I use them a lot, probably more than everybody else does. Um, maybe I get carried away with it, but, you know, me and Chad Henderson seem to send it a little too much on a lot of things. But so on corn and soybeans and wheat, all three of them, I use an awful lot of it. I use, um, I actually use MegaGrow. Um, I can, I call it a two strand and I use it for root growth, um, in furrow, uh, on all of them. And then I come back on my very first chemistry pass. I always add that in there, and the reason that I do that is is it helps that plant metabolize that chemistry better so you don't go through that season of like three or four days. You'll get that yellow flash in it. Yep. You know, what would we all do to gain three or four days of sunlight exposure? You know, we'd all do something, and I feel like MegaGrow does that. And then we switch out of that, and we don't use that anymore. That's just for our vegetative side. And then we go to a three-strain um, for our re reproductive. So on soybeans, we'll go in at R1 and I'll put something on there and I use that on beans to kind of hold on to the blossoms, you know, help alleviate a little bit of that stress. Then I go back in and I use it again on R3 or R4 that helps me hold on to the pods, but also helps me spike a reaction in the plant. And that's what a lot of these things do. They, they're a trigger and they help me trigger to create another cluster of blossoms a lot of times. And then that takes me all the way out on my beans. And then I kind of do the same thing, maybe a little bit different in corn as well, but I do the same thing in, 
in my weed as well too. But I think, you know, we always talk about, you know, having uh, some kind of systematic approach and we start right from the roots. You know, you, we, we put that thing in there and we use a two strand and we develop that root system and then we keep that thing going. And then whenever I need to trigger a response, that's where I utilize it at. How do you evaluate these things? Are you leaving check strips? Have you just done enough of that in the past where you go, yeah, I know this stuff pays, so I'm doing it. But, I, I mean, how'd you end up I, doing all this? So I've done a lot of work over the years um, with all these things and leaving check strips, and I've gotten myself to the point where it's 100% on every one of our acres. Now, there's there's times where we don't put it in a tank mix. Like, if we get a week's worth of like really really hot temperatures and i won't i won't apply it I, i'll take that out um because we've had adverse reactions to it but we've kind of learned where to get around some of those things you know we've we've put jibs on on corn plants too late in life and and spiked a, a adverse reaction as well you know what i mean so i think that we've kind of figured out a lot of these things but i have left checks and it and with the way that we've done it and the stages that we've done it and learning the environment and learning the plants and the stages, we've gotten to a point where it is on a hundred percent of our acres, you know, whether it's a, a contest that we're doing or whether it's a trial, we just time and time again, once we learn how to use it, it's on a hundred percent of my acres. I don't treat it any differently than I do my NPK. I got to have it. Mega grows around four bucks an acre. How much are you spending per acre on your three strain thing, like you mentioned, roughly? It's not much. It's not much more. You know, what I mean that seven, eight dollar um, an acre range, and every time that I do it, it's a ROI every time. Um, you know, and I even go a little bit further. Like on some of our contest stuff, I'll put it on later again, like like way late in the R five, and I've seen a spiked reaction there. Now you're you're getting a lot less response way out, and I'm not necessarily sure I've seen a return every time. But you know, when you're talking about mega grow at the early stages, I haven't. I shouldn't even say this. Um, I just haven't seen it not return my investment. You know, what I mean, like double fold. I just I yeah. haven't seen it yet. But, you know, well, uh, it's it's four dollars. Honestly, I was talking to somebody this morning to about corn seed and they were saying, yeah, this variety I want. I want it, but it's forty dollars a bag more. And I go, forty dollars. That's like two bushels. Start running the math and, and we go through it. And it's like, oh, yeah, that is like two or two and a half bushels is all it's it, this conversation is much different when you have high commodity prices versus when you have low. But even so, yeah, we're, we're talking four dollars an acre, not forty dollars for something like mega grow or some of these different plant growth hormones well we how many times have you ever planted a crop demanding that you we go into the crop and we never go into the crop and say oh my god can i am i going to shoot for the stars and grow 300 bushel corn and 100 bushel beans we don't ever do that we're always shooting for the defensive so again we talk about the systematic approach i am trying to build a plant from day one so I start in furrow and I build the root system after I build the root system then I'm building a vegetative system after I'm building the vegetative system I'm trying to promote the reproductive system how else can you do that because we can't do it with all these other products but if we can figure it out and we can have a systematic approach 
I'm being defensive the entire year, but yet I'm still shooting for the for the end goal, the, a big end goal. Okay, you talked about the things you're doing on the whole farm. Are you experimenting with any new things? I am. I got some. Um, we had a couple different um, companies that brought some some new ones to me. Um, I tried one of them this year. Um, I saw some pretty good results with with them as well. Um, maybe not quite the results that I've seen with, um, you know, the two and three strains that we're using now, you know, Mega Grow and uh, some of the other ones. Um, I don't have quite the response, but maybe that's just a learning curve. You know, I have to be able to learn it and, and I can't figure out exactly where to put the placement at. And maybe I've done it the wrong way, but that's why we do all these checks. That's why we're trying to make these mistakes ahead of time. Yeah, it seems to me that a lot of the companies that make the different plant growth hormones, they really know their stuff and they know how to make things, but they may not necessarily know for every crop out there what's exactly the right timing and what's exactly the right situation. Even like you brought up, hey, when I've got a really hot period of time, I could actually see a negative response, so I want to avoid that time. Well, a lot of these things, it's just trial and error, right? It is. It's 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 all trial and error, and it's it's trying to find out the exact stage that you're trying to stimulate. What are you trying to stimulate? Like, are you trying to put a GABA product in? Are you trying to promote chlorophyll because maybe you don't have the right sunlight at the time? Are you trying to do that? Are you trying to promote flowering? So maybe you need to look for a product that has kenitin in it. Like, or are you trying to relieve stress? Like, what exactly are you trying to do? And at what stage? And that takes feet in the field. You've got to have the boots in the ground. You've got to know where you're trying to get to. And, you know, I've had a lot of guys ask me about these PGRs. You know, we all have to start somewhere and to start right at the beginning and start with, you know, let's call it a mega grow, a two-strand. Just put it in furrow and try for root growth. I have a really – we've been doing really good with growing wheat yields – and as soon as our wheat spikes and we get it out of the ground, we go over across the top of it with Radiate. And we feel like with that one product, putting that on up front at an early stage, we feel like we, we overwinter better. We feel like we, better, we grow a better root structure. And we have time and time again seen a tremendous result and a payback on one application of MegaGrow on wheat. We're not talking about corn or soybeans, you know. We're talking about wheat. But it's another product that is out there that whoever thought about using MegaGrow on wheat when it first spikes out of the ground? Uh, you know, we've been doing it for quite a few years, but it's something that I tried, and then all of a sudden it stemmed a result, and I'm like, holy moly, this is great. <laughs> we've been talking with Temple Rhodes. He's a farmer out in Maryland and part of the Extreme Ag Group. Temple, thanks a lot for the time today. Appreciate it. This was great stuff. Yep. Thank you, Brian. Have a great day. You too. All right, stay tuned. We'll talk just a little bit more about PGRs and plant growth hormones right after this on Ag PhD Radio. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. 
Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Now is the time to head into your local CNB. Find out about the great deals CNB has to offer on new and used John Deere equipment. Stop into your local CNB and visit with their team of experts or shop online at DeerEquipment.com. Get your planter ready for spring with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. And now when you buy 12 rows or more, get free shipping or 20% off an end zone bin system. Offer good while supplies last, so order yours today at FarmShopMFG.com. Get the most out of every acre of your farm by attending Ag PhD's workshops and clinics this winter. I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting several free workshops throughout January and February with seven full days of events on the docket, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. We have a lot of great information that we can't wait to share. And best of all, these events are free. Register today at agphd.com. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Downtime during spraying can lead to huge yield losses. Keep rolling with the Pentair Hypro Force Field. This pump features a unique self-regulated chamber that allows the pump to run dry while eliminating cracked seals, so you can spray longer and more reliably. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Nutrition N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio and talking PGRs and plant growth hormones. We're pleased to be joined by Chad Whistle now. He's with CH Bio. They are one of the top companies that develops products that have plant growth hormones in them, including the MegaGrow product that we were just talking with Temple Rhodes about. Chad, thanks for being on the show today. Appreciate it. How are things going for you? Great. Thanks for having me. All right. So when it comes to these plant growth hormones, I feel like, as I talk to a lot of farmers out there, they're hesitant to use anything that's out of what they would consider the ordinary. So if it's a it's a, a fungicide, a herbicide, an insecticide, a lot of people feel fairly comfortable about those things. But you get into these PGRs and plant growth hormones, it's outside the comfort zone for many people. So can you maybe just give us a little, just talk about the basics of what we're trying to accomplish with some of these plant growth hormones and where a beginner might want to start? 
Sure, absolutely. I've been working with uh, plant growth regulators, plant growth hormones for about 20 years, and I can tell you, 20 years ago, it was a, a very scary thing for farmers to uh, uh, talk about plant growth regulators because they associated them with products like 2,4-D that would, you know, kill a plant or something that would severely stunt growth to the point of death. Um, plant growth regulators have come a long way in the last 20 years and our understanding of those. Um, there are plant growth hormones when formulated in the right parts per million and put on the crop at the appropriate timing can have a dramatic um, increase to that plant's ability to do what it's doing at that stage. So, for example, if you have a product that's formulated to go early vegetative growth, um, you apply it early prior to reproductive development, it increases the plant's ability to uptake nutrient water and essentially can build a really strong foundation uh, for that plant. All right. So with plant growth hormones, we talked a little about the different uh, different types of hormones that there are out there. So with CHBio, what's the most popular plant growth hormone that you use, and where does it fit in certain crops? Sure. Uh, probably the most uh, used within our lineup would be uh, an auxin um, through IBA and kinetin. Those two in combination applied early vegetative growth um, sends a signal to the plant to basically get hungry. And it speeds up the metabolism of the plant, makes it push more root development, and increases its ability to uptake nutrient water from the soil. All right? There are other active ingredients, plant growth hormones, like um, kinetin in a different formulation, choline chloride, GABA, aminobutyric acid, that would be formulated more for early reproductive development. So, you know, you want to be sure you go into the season with a plan. Hey, let's build the foundation with this product. Once we've done that and reproductive stage starts, then come in with another product and really push that reproductive development. One of the things that's been talked about for years in soybeans, and I'm particularly passionate about this because we raise soybeans, and I'd like to have more yield. But what I hear often is, well, a good percentage of the flowers abort. What can we do to stop flower abortion in soybeans? Is, there, is, is it because of the lack of a certain plant growth hormone? Is there anything we could apply that might help us there specifically? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, you're not going to eliminate all abortion. You know, there's a lot of times you'll go out into a soybean field when it's flowering, and you may find two, three hundred flowers, maybe two, three hundred pods on the plant. But then you go in at harvest time and you only have 40, 50 pods left. Yep. That's just nature taking its course. That's saying, okay, we are we are building this big reproductive development and then weather environment set in and it says, okay, we have to get rid of all these because we can't support it. So the key to holding on as many of those pods as you can is building that foundation, getting as much nutrient and water into that plant as you can early, and essentially just building the factory potential to be able to hold on to more. And it may mean instead of holding on to 40, holding on to 45, and that makes a huge difference in yield. 
What are the biggest one or two questions you receive from farmers about PGRs and plant growth hormones? Uh, can you do a negative? Can you can you cause a negative response? Yep. Um, my answer to that is, yeah, you can. But if you go into the season with a good plan, and you know that you're going in during vegetative growth, these are the combinations of hormones to use. If you go into the plan of okay, we're making this application at reproductive development. This is the combination of products to use. You know, if you apply a combination of products that's designed to push reproductive development at early vegetative growth, it's going to send that plant a confusing signal. Or vice versa, if you apply a, a, a group of hormones that's designed to push early vegetative growth at reproductive development, you may potentially send that plant a confusing signal. So the key is knowing what signal you want to send and when you're going to apply and making sure you're sending the plant the proper signal to do what it's doing at that time. Most farmers are trying to save trips across the field, just like we are on our farm. So we do get quite a few questions about, you mentioned other plant growth regulators that are herbicides. So 2,4-D, for example, heavily used. Dicamba, heavily Mm -hmm. used. Both considered PGRs. Can a farmer put a plant growth hormone product or a PGR product that's supposed to help the plant together with a PGR like a 2,4-D or a dicamba, or should we be splitting those applications? I think, I think you got to look at, I mean, even though PGRs are one big category, you have to look at it in separate categories. Plant growth hormones that cause a negative response and plant growth re- uh, hormones that cause a positive response. Okay. So, if you are trying to kill a weed and you're applying something that causes that negative response and you put in the ones that cause a positive response, I think you're going to get that positive response on your crop, but you may enhance that ability to kill the weed by adding the good hormones. So what you're saying is you're not super concerned about it, but yet you probably better talk to your agronomist or somebody who hopefully knows what's going on so you don't put the wrong things together. Because like the way my dad always described it with the Camba and 2,4-D is they are plant growth regulators and they're going to try to grow the plant to death. They're going to try to grow the weed to death. So anything that helps stimulate that, yeah, the weed's going to die faster. That's a great thing. Now, fortunately, for the most part, our crops can tolerate that, especially when you talk about like the 2,4-D resistance soybeans, but we still would have to be a little bit concerned about throwing something else in there that could really accelerate that. Correct. I agree with that. All right. But oh, go ahead. With like, like for our company's formulations, honestly, in the last 20 years, I really haven't met a tank mix partner that there wasn't a good wed with, um, you know, simply because it's such a low use volume it's sending just a, a slight signal to that plant, the crop, to do a positive thing. And most of these plant uh, growth regulators, plant growth hormones, they're only going to stay in the plant and have an effect on the plant for probably a week or two, aren't they? Yeah, that's the initial boost. But, you know, you can you can see benefit. You can see increased nutrient and water uptake from the soil up to three weeks after an application. Sure. Um, you know, on a measurable level. 
but the the actual because you've built that foundation and you've built the bigger factory. Yeah. All right, we've been talking with Chad Whistle. He's with CH Bio. Chad, thanks a lot for the time today. Appreciate all the insight. Absolutely. Thank you, Darren. He was, he was going to correct himself in the end there. I, I heard it coming. I heard it cut him off. Sorry about that, Chad. <laughs> uh, I don't mind getting called Darren. You know, happens on a pretty regular basis here. I, what I more appreciate, though, is when Darren gets called Brian, but, you know, whatever. All right, we're going to get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag. It's coming up next. My mom's got a new case ice tractor, and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Ship like a race car? Steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out CaseIH.com. If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plan, you think you could cut your farm's fertilizer expenses? Maybe you could increase your yields. Why not both? I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're devoting two full days to our Ag PhD Soils Clinic this year, January 10th and 11th at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the two most important days you spend in your farming career, and it's free. So register now at agphd.com. When it comes to protecting your field from disease and environmental stress, there's Revitech fungicide. <laughs> and there's everything else. When it comes to unparalleled power, there's Revitech. <laughs> and everything else. And when it comes to speed and stamina, this is Revitech. And this is everything else. Nothing else comes close to Revitech fungicide from BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. How can natural products help you raise bigger and better crops? I'm Darren Hefty. In recent years, natural products have exploded onto the market, claiming to improve soil health and plant development. There's a lot to sort through. That's why we're devoting a full day to our Ag PhD Naturals Workshop. It's Thursday, January 12th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of natural products, and we want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. Farmers come to Commodity Classic from every state and beyond. I'm a farmer from Lexington, Tennessee. Brackenridge, Michigan. Finley, North Dakota. We're farmers, farmers from, from Elverson, Pennsylvania. Cope, Colorado. Northeast Arkansas. I'm a teacher from Glenview, Illinois. We are corn and soybean farmers from Allegan, Michigan, and we want to see you at Commodity Classic. Join us in Orlando as we're preparing for the next generation, March 9th through 11th, 2023. Learn more at commodityclassic.com. Hey, everybody. Come on in. The Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin.
All right, our first question today comes from David. He says, Hi guys, I sent two scenarios, one with my co-op that I buy all my fertilizer through. The other is my chemical guy who's led me down the path of starter fertilizer and 2 by 2 by 0 I feel it's with him that I've seen significant yield increases in both corn and beans. I also know the co-ops have some new products that can be used. What should I do? Uh, oh, and he finishes the what should I do right after that. He goes, LOL. So basically, uh, his, his very next slide, so he gives me several pages here. His very next word on the next page says, confused. Do you throw everything out there and hope for the best with higher amounts? And he says, well, that's what the co-op's suggesting I do. Or the more science-based approach and a lot less products. And he just lists natures here. Um, so we've done a lot of work with agri-liquid. We do a lot of work with uh, our topic today, plant growth hormones, plant growth regulators. And even some of the products he's got listed here are some biological things. Or at least they have biologicals or plant growth hormones in there. And yeah, it does get confusing. So, David, uh, we feel for you. I'll just talk to you a little bit about what what we have found ourselves and just my general thoughts. But anyway, he compares these different programs here, like with the co-op. And so, first of all, nothing against uh, any co-op or anybody else out there. There are lots of ideas all the time. And I personally don't see anything like super wrong with what the co-op's got here. It also has a lot of banded stuff. It's just they're using 1034-0 instead of maybe a lower salt uh, starter fertilizer. But they're they're also not getting carried away in rate, which I appreciate. They're only talking three gallons of 1034-0. I love that. We see a lot of people doing five to 10 gallons of 1034-0 right in furrow. That scares me to death. We've seen too many issues with that. Not all the time, don't get me wrong. But when you start pushing it on salt, that's where we get really worried about fertilizer. So any any fertilizer, just keep in mind, fertilizer by very definition is salt. Fertilizer is salt. And we know that a little bit of salt can be fine, but too much salt can kill. And the question is always, well, how much is too much? Uh, there is no exact answer. It depends on on Mother Nature a lot and also on your soil conditions, on the seed, planting date. I mean, there's so many things that go into it. But anyway, I'd just say as, as my general statement here, David, that if we are looking to build overall soil test levels, and he, he makes a comment here, he feels like they're pretty good on P and K on his farm. That's great. And when that's the case, then a lot of times you can get by just feeding the plant, which is kind of what what you're doing with a lot of these banded options. Okay. But when we we say, oh man, we have we're we've got like nothing out there for P and K. We want to build the whole soil profile, we would tell you I'd probably broadcast dry and build the whole thing if it's ground that I own. If it's ground that I'm renting and I don't know how long I'm going to have it, then I, I'm probably just going to try to get by as best I can. Maybe some deep banded stuff because there's only so much you can put on with the planter before you run into salt issues and burning off roots and things like that. But if you want to continue going banded, I love banded, and even on our farm, even if we are broadcasting, we're still doing some banded fertilizer. We prefer low-salt fertilizer, keeping the rate relatively low. We like having our soil fertility overall balanced. And so if I'm short on zinc or, quite frankly, any nutrient, I am willing to put more out there 
both broadcast and a little bit with the planter. But again, you just have to be kind of careful with what we're doing. We don't want to be overdoing it, especially when it comes to salt. So anyway, those would be my general comments. Um, I, I'd just say try continue to try some things out. And if <laughs> you're right here and you say it's with the chemical guy, that person who's made recommendations where I'm seeing more significant yield increases, then obviously you're probably heading down the right path. But keep in mind, if you're putting out less fertilizer than what you're removing, then eventually you're going to draw your soil fertility levels down, and that could be problematic long term. So just kind of keep an eye on that, especially when it's ground you own and you know you're going to be farming 20 or 30 years from now. All right, next one comes from Kyle in South Dakota. And Kyle's an agronomist. And I know last spring and last winter, he'd asked me a lot of questions personally about, hey, what are we going to do? Because we have bugs in our sunflowers, and we've really liked using Lorsban in the past. Well, Lorsban's now gone. Uh, what's the best option? So anyway, he sent me this research article. This is from South Dakota State University, and it's titled, A Powerful Tool in Red Sunflower Seed Weevil Management, where basically when they planted earlier they had fewer weevil issues. Planting later meant more weevil issues. So we, we, we talk often on the show, ideally, we'd love to be able to spray, to have to spray, no insecticide, no fungicide, quite frankly, no herbicide either. That'd be amazing if there was some kind of cultural practice that we could use that would lessen the need to go spray things. Because uh, then hopefully we've got less costs and more income. So anyway, this is a, a, a great example of this. We're seeing dramatically less damage and fewer insects when they are spraying, or, or, or sorry, when they are planting earlier. So the dates on this, just so you know, and again, this is in South Dakota, so every area is going to be different. But May 16th, they had 1% damage from insects. May 27th, 23%. June 3rd, 51%, and June 17th had 96% damage, 96%. Now, I will say, long-term bugs, whether you call them smart or just they they adapt, um, long-term, if everybody starts planting their sunflowers a month earlier than normal, chances are something might change with the bugs. But in the meantime, hey, this looks like a nice tool and a way to get around some of the insect issues we've had in the past. All right, next one comes from David. He says, I'm a golfer. I watch your show all the time because my mother's parents were in the ag business. I learned about farming, natural resources, soil management, and fertilizer were growing up. Well, well growing up. I'm also a volunteer Ohio certified naturalist and volunteer at a local park. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering if you have shirts available because I play golf in rural areas and I want to promote your program. Do you have plans on selling shirts with the Ag PhD logo on them. Um, honestly, David, I thought we had that already, but if not, I'll, I'll tell our people and we'll get something out there. All right, next one here is from Jimmy. And we were talking about no-till on an episode of Ag PhD, the pros and cons of no-till. And Jimmy goes, okay, you guys said, said till, uh, said no-till. Then you said tillage. Uh, which is it? What's, what's the best way to go? Well, Jimmy, that's the whole thing. We, we talk often about there are lots of tools, lots of different ways to farm and to be a farmer. And we are open 
to any ideas, any suggestions. We encourage people to learn about all the pros and cons about everything that's out there. What we often find is you hear about all the great things, whether it's a new herbicide, whether it's a a tillage method, I mean, just literally anything. It seems like, to me, you always hear about all the great things. Well, we also like talking about all the downsides and, and to try to at least help you understand, hey, it's not all roses when you're going to go no-till, for example. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we don't like no-till. It's a great practice, and it, it, but it's just that you can't manage your farm the same way you could when you were doing tillage. If you just say, well, look, I'm going to plant all the same varieties, use all the same herbicides, I'm going to I'm going to use all the same equipment, everything's going to be exactly the same other than, you know what, I'm just not going to do tillage anymore. If you do that, that's generally speaking when no-till fails and when people want to complain about no-till. So it's kind of all-encompassing, and yeah, it's a it's a pretty big discussion, more than what we have time to talk about here on the show today. But I, I will say on the flip side, there certainly are cases when tillage can be really beneficial. I think about even on our farm where occasionally we have to mud the crop out. We got to level that ground out. Occasionally we've got a whole bunch of rodents out there or something like that. We got to level the ground out. So there are times where we want to do tillage and times when we don't. Well, stay tuned. We will get to more of your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag right after this. It's planting season. Race against the clock season. Mistakes can't happen season. And no one helps you face it all like John Deere. Putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster. That makes your spacing and depth more accurate. And that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. What does it feel like to get all for none? How does all the Thanksgiving turkey with none of the cooking sound? All your football team's highlights with none of the timeouts? We'll do you one better. What about all the benefits of a new Farmall utility tractor with none of the finance cost? Welcome to Farmall A-Days. For a limited time only, gain 0% financing for 48 months or a cashback offer when you invest in select Farmalls this holiday season. There's a reason they call it a Farmall and not a Farm None. Visit caseih.com slash offers to learn more about these special offers running now through December 31st. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. 
Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented, season-long, inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. We're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag. This question comes from Mike in Minnesota. He says, guys, I'm worried about supply on fungicides. Which of the top tier fungicides are you concerned about for supply? The reason why I'm, I'm worried about this is just because of tar spot. There's so much interest in spraying for tar spot moving forward. I'm afraid that fungicides are going to run out. Okay, so Mike, I am not at all afraid that we're going to run out of fungicide. There is so much product out there, and there are a lot of products that are labeled on tar spot, including Delaro Complete, Delaro, Veltima, Revitec, Lacento, Trivapro, Miravis Neal, and others. So with Headline Amp, and that was one he had mentioned here. He had a few more things, but anyway... uh, Headline amp, it looks like that might be a little bit tight, but there's there is certainly some of that out there. But again, there are lots of products that are labeled. Okay, then he asks about V5 corn. He says in the past you've used a lot of Fortix or Preemptor. Um, is there still supply available on those products? No, there's not much supply. UPL has basically quit making the Fortix and FMC stopped on the Preemptor, so Unless UPL all of a sudden starts making Fortix again, what's out in the marketplace, that's pretty much all there is for that particular one. Um, and then he asks about TopGuard EQ, Quilt XL, things like that. Yeah, there are a lot of different products out there. And if you want to spray at V5, that's fine. It's just if you're spraying at V5, you're not going to get tar spot control. V5 is a timing where you might see a little bit of disease and you might gain a little bit, but usually when people are spraying at V5, they're after two things. Number one, cost savings, because they'll run with a half rate, throw it right in with the herbicide they're spraying. So then they're only investing, call it $5, maybe $7 an acre. The second thing they're after is plant health benefits. So even if there is hardly any disease pressure there, if there's something in there with a strabiliorin. So in other words, that'd be like Headline, Quadris, Avito, Gem, any of those types of products. Those are all strobes in that strobe family. And that's where we see the plant health benefits. So I, I would just encourage you, if you want to do something at V5, I'd have a strobe in there, number one. Uh, I, if it's me, I'm probably using a real low rate. I'm not expecting a whole lot for disease control, but I am expecting the plant health benefit. And as far as tar spot, best timing, what we've seen so far has been pre-tassel. So probably let's just call it a couple weeks before tassel, week or two before tassel, something like that. 
uh, maybe three weeks in advance, and then spraying again about three weeks after the first application. So, and I know it costs some money. Believe me, I understand. We farm too, and I sprayed, we sprayed almost all our corn last year twice. But I know this. We have had so many calls and so many questions about tar spot in the last couple of years, and the people that have gotten it, um, it's been bad. I mean, like, really bad. We, we've heard a lot of people talking about 40 to 60 bushel yield losses. Now, fortunately, we haven't gotten it this far west here in South Dakota, but we're continuing to keep an eye out for it. Hopefully, it never shows up here. But just like you, being from Minnesota, you know, yeah, we're on the edge of this right now, but I do expect tar spot to spread. It's only been, it was only discovered not even 10 years ago. So, unfortunately, it's probably going to continue getting worse before it gets better. But, again, good news, got lots of fungicides labeled for that particular disease in corn. All right. Um, I had a whole bunch of emails on we we talked on our TV show about keeping carbon in the soil, and it, it apparently stirred up a lot of people because we got a whole bunch of emails here, and I'll read you a few. This one is from Saurabh. He says, in India, we prefer to broadcast manure, uh, vermicompost, or prefer to incorporate green manure to keep our carbon levels high in the soil. Thanks for that. Uh, Jody says, does carbon tie up nitrogen in the ground? Well, what we find is when, if, if we're going to sequester carbon, okay, so think about this. Everybody wants less carbon dioxide. I shouldn't say everybody. Many people want less carbon dioxide in the air. Well, if you're going to have less carbon dioxide in the air, that means the plant that plants need to breathe it in and then store it down in the ground. How can they do that? That's we, we basically have to build up soil organic matter. In soil organic matter, there is going to be nitrogen. And a little bit's going to get released every year. If you have really high levels of organic matter in your soil, like let's say I've got a peat soil or a muck soil where I've got 20% organic matter. Uh, yeah, you can put almost any fertilizer product out there, and some of that is going to just get locked up and it's not going to be super available. Now, nitrogen, I'm not as worried about it as I am some of the other nutrients, but nevertheless, yes, there's going to be nitrogen that's tied up, at least in the short term, for in, in any soil organic matter that we are building. All right, uh, next one, I apologize, I don't have a name on this one. <laughs> But apparently during our, our segment when we were talking about keeping carbon in the soil, we just made the comment about whether you believe in global warming or not. The fact of the matter is that a lot of people are willing to pay us as farmers to sequester carbon and build our soil organic matter, which for me, it's kind of a win-win. But anyway, uh, so the comment here is whether you believe in global warming, are you serious? Anyone who is a farmer on this planet has to understand climate change is real. Well, climate change is real, but when you look back in history, um, the Earth's temperature gets warmer and it gets colder. So when is it going to cycle back to colder? I don't know. Um, they were talking about global cooling in my lifetime, and I'm not like a thousand years old. So anyway, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. That's why we're just throwing it out there. Hey, whether you believe in this or whether you don't. And then TS says, it's not a religion that you believe in. It's a scientific fact. Why don't you try to educate your, your viewers about that instead of catering to their ignorance? 
Again, um, I don't believe it is a scientific fact. So there is global warming and there is global cooling. And we don't know when the global cooling is going to come. And we don't know exactly how much we are causing the global warming versus how much we are not. So anyway, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. All right. Nathan says, when we were talking about this keeping carbon in the soil thing, apparently on our TV show, we were showing some tilled ground. Nathan says, as you're showing tilled ground, you're better than that, Brian and Darren. <laughs> you know, a lot of people are pretty passionate about no-till, and I appreciate that. I'm glad people are passionate about some things. But like I was saying a little bit earlier in the show, from time to time, there's some need for some tillage out there. Uh, just for example, when we're putting manure on, I mean, I don't know how you do it without injecting it down into the soil, like how we're putting our liquid manure on. So I... I mean, if if somebody has some better way to get our manure down eight inches in the soil without doing tillage, I would like to know what it is, because I'm certainly open to that. We'd like to do less tillage, but we just feel like we're kind of stuck. All right, and then the last one I got here on this keeping carbon in the soil topic is from Tom. He says, every farm still in business is making the environment better. Could we do even more? Sure, and we will. Changes are incremental and generational. I'm organic, no-till, and cover crop fully regenerative, and I'm disgusted by the greenwashing and the corporate board-run farms checking all the boxes to get certified, yet not leaving the land better over time like any successful family farm must do or grow broke. I can guarantee one thing, it's going to get hotter. That's what stars do. The science proves that long before the Earth is swallowed up by the sun, when it goes red giant, it will become a Venus-like place. We can control uh, when by about 0.000001%. Um, well, Tom, yeah, I, I guess I'm not going to be around when that time comes, when uh, we become a Venus-like place. But I, I do agree with you 100% that as a family farm operation, like we are, for example, we're trying to leave the land better over time. And our goals, we always have three goals here at Ag PhD. We have since day one, 25 years ago. It's number one, to help farmers increase yields. Number two, to help farmers increase profits. And number three, to help farmers improve their land. And there are a lot of people who talk about, oh, I want to make things better for the next generation. But hey, if you're serious about it, then that's where, and even like our discussion today, we're talking about plant growth regulators, plant growth hormones. We talked fertility a little bit, a lot of different things. It's all encompassing. And it's all about trying to raise great healthy crops, which then helps build our soil. And long-term, hopefully we've got this planet in a lot better shape. All right, well, thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Before we go, I want to say thanks to my sister Janelle. She's producing the show for us today. And thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.